Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington out here in lovely Surprise, Arizona. And joining me on the podcast back in Dallas, but soon to join me are at least is Evan Grant and then David Moore. He's he's not coming out here, but but Evan will be here. So, Evan, I just want to tell you, this house you got is is pretty nice. It's got a lot of stuff in it. But you know what? There's a lot of food on the floor. Let me just say that there's there's food on the floor everywhere. And as I was sweeping it up today so I wouldn't get it all over my socks, I hadn't put it on my shoes yet. There was a fingernail on the floor, Evan. And I got to tell you, the thought of that just grossed me out so much that you're just trimming your fingernails and letting those things fly all over the floor. It just the thought of it just horrified me. I got to tell you. I Kevin. Hey, that's gross. I, I I don't know where fingernails would have been coming from. <laughs> I do know that there have been a lot of Cheez-Its eaten while I was writing, and some may have fallen on the floor, and I apologize for that. Oh, um, man. But I've been busy here. I've got a question for you guys that I need answering. Um, speaking of home maintenance, uh, who invented the caulking gun? Oh, you don't like that? Oh, no. those are great. Those are fun. <laughs> no, I, I don't like the caulking gun at all. Why, why can't it just come in a tube? Why do we need this? Well, is it a tube? It's just pushing it out. A tube uh, and a gun. Tube. Why can't yeah. I just push it out myself? Why does it need that little machine gun? Like then it'll be toothpaste. Yeah, you got to yeah. make a distinction. You don't want to. You don't want to get those two mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We're not going to get mixed up. That's it. That's what because it comes out nice and cleanly and evenly with the with the caulking gun. If you know how to use it, that's why. Well, let me tell you something. I used the caulking gun yesterday, and nothing came out nice and evenly. <laughs> <laughs> what were you caulking anyway? Was it was it between your toes? Is that what you were doing? I was. I had to seal a little rusted uh, nail on the on the roof. You were on the roof. <laughs> what a video that is! Well, I can't no, guys, we have one of those hip rooftop decks, so part of the roof is accessible from the deck. So I was able to reach over and just kind of caulk it there. Or so you didn't get your like extension ladder out and go up on the pitched roof. No, 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 Okay. That's a good, that's if, you, if you would, that'd be great. Get a ladder and get on the steepest part of that roof and then uh, and climb up on it. That'd be great. Uh, that would be a prescription for, for bodily injury. <laughs> yeah. And here's another suggestion. If you're going to clip your toenails and fingernails, do it, do it on the flight from Dallas to Phoenix today like everyone else does, not after you get into your new place. Oh, oh my gosh. Even, I, I don't even have a clipper. <laughs> what, do you just gnaw them off? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm my fingers off. Oh, my gosh. What are you doing? Oh, my gosh. Speaking of flights, on my flight out here, the guy, you know, uh, my kids tell me, make sure you wear a mask because you always get sick when you are when you get on a plane. <laughs> you know, make sure you wear a mask. And so I, I don't wear a mask, and then the bubonic plague sits down next to me. I mean, it was just unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, the guy on the other side of him looked at me at one point like, oh, my gosh, what are we supposed to do? I, you, I don't know. I don't know. So far, nothing has happened. I've been just fine. It's been great out here in Surprise. And let's just talk about that, Evan. This, this team that you left me for, I don't know, it seems like a month uh, that I've been out here in charge. Uh, it is uh, – Four days, will, but it does seem like a month to all of us, Kevin. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I just want to say that Jake Latz may never recover from this experience that he's had out here. He gave up a grand slam to lose a game that the Rangers were up by nine runs going into the eighth inning, and they lost that game on a walk-off grand slam. And then they bring him out to start the game yesterday, uh, as we're taping this on Tuesday. That was Monday. And uh, he gave up four runs in the first inning. Bless his heart. I, I, he, he may never recover from this. So my, my point of all yeah, this he's is. He's not on my projected roster, if that's what you're asking. No, I, I wasn't thinking so. Everybody who's supposed to make uh, the roster coming out of, uh, of spring is looking pretty good uh, at this point, uh, I would say. I would say yeah. that, Glenn, that, that Glenn Otto has probably not helped himself any, his, his chances. I don't know that his chances were great. Uh, coming out. Uh, Jake Odorizzi still hasn't pitched. Uh, he's the one guy left of, of, of all the veteran pitchers that, you know, that, 
they were holding out. And uh, let's just put it this way, Kevin. There, of, of the 26-man roster, really this spring there's fewer battles than, than there have been in a long time, which is which is really good. Um, the unfortunate part for the Rangers are that, you know, if Leody Tavares opens the season on the IL, they're going to have to add somebody in all likelihood to the 40-man roster. And the two guys who, for me, are at the back end of the 40-man roster right now have not helped themselves this spring – and those are guys, you know, on whom you end up might, might having to make permanent decisions. Josh Spores, the Rangers love all the metrics on his stuff, um, but he hasn't performed out there. No. Uh, he's made some tweaks, you know, after working with Mike Maddox, but he hasn't performed. Spencer Howard, who they acquired in the, in the Kyle Gibson trade, quite frankly, hasn't pitched in two weeks. So um, those are two guys on whom the Rangers might have to make final decisions, and they haven't helped themselves. And that's the part that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I think if Spencer Howard got a haircut, though, I don't know if that's going to help. But 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 he at least got himself looking a little sharper. So maybe maybe so. But everything I mean, everything else has gone pretty much according to plan, you know. And I, what you've seen is the typical turning of camp. Um, Jacob Degrom is pitching again, and Evan Carter and most of the kids have been shipped out. So. I, to this point, with the exception of the Leody Tavares injury, and we'll see how that how that works, there's been nothing really significant in in, in camp uh, that would disrupt the plan. And it, it's it's amazing to me how stable this roster appears to be. Yeah, it does. And you know, I was talking to Chris Young uh, yesterday about some of that, and then also, uh, of course, in, we've had conversations with Bruce Bochy, and and the, one of the questions asked of him was about in the bullpen. Uh, uh, our old pal Levi Weaver was saying that the way he looks at it, there was maybe one question in the bullpen, and and Bruce said, "No, there's probably about three. So uh, I, I, you would have a lot better idea of what those three positions might be at this point. Um, so I'm going to ask you that. Do you do you have an idea of what he's he's talking about? Well, I mean, I I, I think that in all likelihood you've got you've got Will Smith, Brock Burke, Jose Leclerc. Uh, Taylor Hearn, all pretty much locked into bullpen spots. I think Joe Barlow and, and Jonathan Hernandez are probably in. Um, the Odorizzi injury leaves you with the possibility that that's one spot and the Spores situation at the back of the bullpen, that's two. I, I, I feel like there's there's two definite spots that are that are open right now for consideration. And I think, you know, depending on – the day they've they've kind of gone up and down a little bit on her on Hernandez and Barlow. Um, this was interesting in the conversation with Odorizzi the other day, uh, and I asked him because he he mentioned something about the six man rotation, and I said, um, you know, which has been speculated about, of course, and not not so much early because of all the off days, but at certain points during the season. <clears throat> and I asked him, do you feel like that it might tilt that way? And uh, I said, or were you given that impression? And he, and he basically said, yeah, he was given that impression by Chris Young that there was a possibility that there would be uh, a six-man rotation. So because, it, you know, it occurred to me when he, when he signed, right, why would you be excited about coming to the Rangers and knowing that they were going to end up with – because Heaney and Ivaldi were signed after him, right? So, uh, you know, all of a sudden it, the, the rotation got stretched out and he got – it seemed – squeezed out. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think in that case that in all likelihood, Jake's maybe hearing a little bit of what he wants to hear because I don't think a six man rotation is realistic for this team. Um, except in situations where they've got maybe a 12 or, or 15 game stretch without off days. Um, and I do think, look, the situation changed on the ground when the Rangers didn't sign Conforto and Nathan Uvalde was still out there and they went and got him that put Odorizzi in the six man situation. And so I, I think in all likelihood, that's what he ends up doing is being the long guy, um, multi-inning guy, potential spot starter. If they need somebody, maybe even a piggyback guy with, with, with somebody early on. But the thing is, He's not pitched, and since he hasn't pitched, I just don't know how he's going to get stretched out between now and the beginning of the year to, to pitch multiple innings. 
So that brings me up to the question of if, if he's really not ready to go, doesn't that mean that either Dane Dunning or Cole Reagans, who have both pitched well uh, here, uh, have a, a much better shot to open the season? Uh, they they do, but I think from a if, if you're looking at the long term, okay, if you're looking at the long term, I would like Reagans and Dunning more likely pitching every fifth day because I think those are my my first two depth options. Um, probably for me, if Odorizzi's not ready, I would probably lean towards Glenn Otto because I think he's he's more that transitional guy. And I would I would probably keep him as as a long guy rather than than Dunning or Reagan's. I want Dunning and Reagan's kind of split up in the rotation at Round Rock, pitching every fifth day, so that regardless of where I get an injury in that rotation, I know I can go to what amounts. I don't want to say a proven big leaguer because Reagan's only has I think nine starts, but a guy who I feel has real upside. Yeah, there's no question about that. Um, uh, well, the one caveat I would have with what you just said is that Glenado has not pitched very well uh, lately. It, you know, it's just – and it is kind of the same old thing with him. Great stuff, just poor command. Uh, so uh, – A lot of walks uh, this spring for him. Yeah. Um, but he's – you know, again, he's on the 40-man. He's capable of pitching multiple innings. Um, this would have been an opportunity for Spencer Howard if he was pitching – to, to work into that role, but he's not, he's not in the mix at this point. So I, a little bit of it is, do you say, do you say, okay, it's only going to be 10 days or whatever until it is ready. We can get regular innings for Dunning or Reagan's in that point in time, maybe. But if, it, if you feel like this is going to be a role that's got to be, Man, for a longer period of time, I don't want Reagan's or Dunning being shortened up. Yeah. All right. So let's let's take that transition and go to the outfield because I did ask that question uh, yesterday uh, about, and you and I had discussed this about Adolis Garcia, or as uh, um, the skipper calls him, Adoli. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure why he calls him Adoli instead of Adoli with the S on the end, but it, I like it when he calls him that, Adoli. Uh, I, I had figured that, you know, if Leone Tavares is not ready when the season opens, that you simply move Adolis to center field and let him play there, and then you can let one of these other guys play like like Grossman or whoever in right field because they had given Grossman a start in right field. Uh, I, I was pretty much shut down on that yesterday. Uh, and the feeling is, is that they said if it would be a longer period of time, that okay, yes, we would consider that. But if it's only going to be a week, they don't want to do it. And I, what I really get a sense of, Evan, is that they have decided that let's stop jacking one of the Dolly's. You know, he's a really good player, uh, and he's a really good right fielder, and he kind of tends to wear down in the second half. Let's just let him play right field. He doesn't have to run around so much. He can stay out there. He can he could possibly win a gold glove. Uh, he, he's going to be more productive for us in the long term if we just leave him there and this and uh, and solve our center field situation. In other ways, I, I yeah, I, I think you get into you if you start moving Adolis around, you, you're moving multiple people around. Now you're moving Grossman from left to right because Clint Frazier cannot play right, um, and Bruce Bochy made that clear. Um, and if you're going to keep Travis Jankowski over Clint Frazier, Jankowski is a is is a capable center fielder. So. You, you have a left-handed hitting center fielder in Jankowski and a right-handed hitting center fielder in Bubba Thompson. You leave Grossman in left field where, where he fits, and you, you leave Adolis in right field where he fits. And it, it, to me, it's just the simplest answer. I mean, the simplest answer is, is moving the fewest amount of bodies around that you can, and especially you hope that Leody Tavares is going to be ready April 15th or so um, at the latest. Uh, and if, if if that's the case, why move why move a bunch of bodies around? I, it wouldn't make sense to me. The bigger question for me is if you're going to keep Jankowski or Frazier, and it looks like you're probably going to have to keep one of those guys. You know, it still comes down to what are you doing at the back end of your forty man roster to make room for one of those guys, especially if you're only going to be keeping that guy potentially for two or three weeks. And of those two, I got to say, I think I'd rather keep Jan, uh, Jankowski than uh, than Frazier. Jankowski is more versatile. I think Frazier has more um, 
offensive upside. Uh, but Jankowski offers you good defense in center field. He offers you plus ability to run. You know, there have been occasions this spring where I've seen <clears throat> Frazier where I've seen the ball jump off Frazier's bat and it's, you know, it's impressive, but defensively he appears to be challenged and he's limited to, to, to left field uh, only. So let's talk about uh, uh, in, in left field. So Grossman. So when, uh, and I asked uh, Chris Young this yesterday, when you saw, has he exceeded your expectations? And he said, well, if he ends up playing every day, he, he has, uh, he said, what he said, everything else, is what, what everything what everybody told me about him. You know, very very much a pro. Comes to work every day. Works hard. Professional. He's good in the clubhouse. All those things, and he has been all those things. Uh, and and he's already a media favorite because you can always find him at his locker. He's always sitting there, ready to talk to somebody if you need to talk. So so he's he's way up on my board just for that. Um, but he's but he has hit well from the right the left side, which has been a struggle for him. Uh, the Rangers. Pitching or the hitting coaches feel like there was something they could unlock there, and he feels like they've helped him. Uh, so uh, I would say there's a possibility he can play every day. And my, the understanding I got yesterday was that the other side of that platoon, though, if they decide to do that, uh, would be Josh Smith, which really kind of surprises me. Uh, they they really are looking for a a bigger role for him. Either he's going to be involved in the platoon, in which he would be a still be a utility player, obviously, otherwise playing other positions, or if he doesn't have to, he's going to be their super utility player. Uh, and that is, as we've discussed before, because he plays shortstop and there is no other shortstop, uh, you know, on the roster, Ezekiel Duran could play it, but you know, we know he's not really that, but on the other side of that is that Duran has just torn it up hitting. Uh, he has uh, been a, 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 one of the stars of camp, uh, Bochy really likes him, uh, and obviously he should uh, because of what he presents. And just in young for that matter, Justin Foscue's hit. Uh, he's tied for the team leading home runs with three. Uh, they were he was very impressive uh, when he gets up to bat. You know, and of course we knew he could hit. These guys are piling up around here, Evan, and and I, I have to say, uh, you know, we don't put a whole, too much stock in spring, but when guys have a reputation or they have a track record, and then they perform at that same level in, in spring, uh, that gives you an idea that this is who they really are. Uh, so when can you remember that the Rangers had this many options uh, to fill in, in in spots? I mean, I, I, I've said this really since the first week of camp. They're just the talent floor has been raised here um, all across the board from the guys they are calling over on a daily basis uh, from minor league camp to the guys who are who are depth options. They've, we've been over this time and time again already that the depth options for the starting rotation seem more legitimate than they've been in the past. That while I still think, you know, I, I, I still think if Ezekiel Duran is on this roster to start the season, it's going to be for the short term because I just don't know that there's going to be enough at-bats for him um, in, in a super utility role. Uh, I think... I feel like they have done a good job over the last three years of bringing in talent and not trading away young players and using Ray Davis's money to add to the talent base here. And that's how you create something of a surplus. Uh, the Rangers still have a long way to go at the big league level, but I feel like this is a significantly better organization from top to bottom in terms of talent than it's been in, in a number of years. Yeah, and I don't know what you do with these guys, though. I mean, it's like we just talked about. I mean, the you know, the middle infield is signed for the next century. Uh, and and so, frankly, I got to tell you, I, I've never had a problem with trading prospects that much uh, because, you know, how often do they really pan out? I can see all these guys panning out. I can see I can see them all being – you know, I think Josh Smith is who we think he is. You know, he, he just got a little bit of pop, and he's not going to – he's perfect for the role that they have uh, envisioned for him you know, as, as a super utility player, can play lots of positions, a really nice shortstop. Uh, and maybe, you know, he's got good contact skills and, and all that. But he's he's not, you know, his ceiling is just so high. Uh, Duran's ceiling is much higher. Foskey's ceiling is higher because of the, the power and the pop there. Um, man, I can see these guys going someplace in a trade and, and really becoming stars. Yeah, I mean, but I, and, and I'm Kevin, I've, I, 
honestly, I'm doing because I think the roster projections this year have been so um, so stable. I've taken um, my roster projection, my weekly roster projection, and kind of tilted it a little bit and, and taken different themes. And, and today I'm actually working on a 2027 edition. And I don't have Fosu or Duran on the team because I don't feel like there's a spot for them. And I feel like those are guys who are going to bring legitimate pieces in, in trades over the next two years. So they're good. They're good inventory to have. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, at some point in time, the Rangers are going to have to be able to say, we need to add, address X position on the field and we're willing to part with a prospect who's going to possibly become a really good player. Um, that that's the fallout from having from having a deep organization. You have to be willing to trade some guys to address other needs. All right, let's get over a couple of things because I want to cover a lot of stuff here in the time we have. So uh, Josh Young's been killing it at third base. Um, you know, Bochy has talked about him time and again. Both sides, he's playing really good defense uh, and he's really hitting the ball. Yesterday he hit the ball hard about about three times. Um, he. He looks like he's going to be a star. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I think that Josh Young is going to be a star. I don't know how much of a limb that really is. You know, it seems more like a, a tree trunk to me. Uh, he was a first round draft pick. He's supposed to be really good, but I do think he's going to be that. He, he looks like to be on both sides of the ball. If he can stay healthy, that he will be that uh, for the Rangers. Yeah. I, I think that's a bit, the biggest question is if he can stay healthy um, because he does have, you know, the history already of, of two really significant injuries that cost him cost him time. But I think mentality-wise, I think um, skill-wise, the guy has the ability to be a modern-day star player. He understands his swing. He understands the game. Uh, and I think he's he's got a great approach. So the one thing he got into a bad habit of last year um, when he came back from the shoulder injury was he chased a little bit too much and there was a little bit too much swing and miss. Uh, I think he's, I, th I think he was aware of that. And I think he's done some things to get used to his swing with the, with the shoulder reconstruct or the repair to the shoulder. Uh, and I, I think that's hopefully been a fix for him, but we won't know for sure until we get into the season and he's seeing guys who are major league pitchers day in and day out. No, that's true. <clears throat> but I will say uh, what I like about him, just besides all the things that we talked about, the, the most important thing, what you said, is that his intelligence and his his willingness to embrace these things. He doesn't I don't think he's overthinking anything at all, but I think he's willing to to look at things. And I think he makes adjustments very well. We saw that from from when he was drafted. Right. He was a guy. He was an op, he was basically almost an opposite field hitter and he turned himself into a pool hitter. Uh, so that, that's that's pretty good uh, to, for a guy to be doing that. Yeah, and I, I think like the different uh, one of the differences with a guy like Josh Smith, uh, Josh Young is he goes to spring. We know he's going to be the third baseman uh, this year, but it's not been one of those cases where you just hope he's okay. You you are getting a sense of confidence from spring training that hey, this guy's going to be just fine. Uh, he's not creating more questions uh, than than come, than he needed to coming into spring. No question about it. <clears throat> All right, well, let's talk about the. The, the buried lead here, and that was that Jacob deGrom made his first kind of sort of uh, start for the Rangers in a triple-A game against the Royals, Omaha Storm Chasers. Uh, and uh, and that was pretty funny. Uh, he came out in the first hitter, uh, second pitch, he retired him on a pop fly to left field. And then he tried to, to sneak a fastball over to uh, Omar Hernandez, who's a 21-year-old catcher, in the Royals organization. And he plowed that thing, that ball. I, I, I was sitting in the stands uh, behind it. So you couldn't see how high it went, but it hit uh, about 30 feet off the, uh, the ground, all the, the batter's eye, the left pole that holds up the batter's eye and then bounced back onto the field. And then of course he, he circled the bases on it. It was uh, quite a, quite a thing to watch. Was and it a clout? Was it a mighty clout? It was a mighty clout. Yes, it was. Uh, that ball would have gone about 430 feet, I think, if it had actually been six inches to the left. It was It was a shot. 
Uh, and, and DeGrom smiled as he watched it all, which was funny. Uh, and, uh, so, but otherwise, then he settled down after that and everything was, is exactly what the Rangers would have hoped. 24 pitches, 20 strikes, five strikeouts, no walks. Uh, in his last inning, the last three guys he faced, he struck the first one out on, uh, five pitches, the next one on four pitches, the last one on three pitches. Uh, so, you know, I've not seen DeGrom up close like this. Um, he, he's an interesting guy. Uh, and uh, I, I think he is, uh, if he stays healthy, uh, which is obviously a very much a concern over the last two years, he's made 26 starts combined. Uh, but, boy, when he is uh, all together, it's pretty impressive. I, my my 30,000-foot view of him from – just seeing him for a, a couple weeks in camp is this is a guy who I, it feels like pitch. I, I, I don't want to presume anything, but it just feels like pitching comes easily to him. The, 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 the delivery just looks easy. It looks like he knows what he wants to do and what he needs to fix when something gets out of whack. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say that he ever takes anything for granted, but it looks like this is a guy who has a gift and knows he has a gift. Um, and, and yeah, it's just the other day watching live batting practice and, and then talking, uh, he, he threw live batting practice the day that I left um, and through to Josh Smith and Jonah Heim and uh, Sandy Leone. And I, I, I talked to Jonah right after he, he pitched to him and you could tell there was excitement that these guys were actually excited because like, the thought was that guy's going to be on the mound for us, hopefully on a regular basis. And they said, look, it, it's a pretty good day for the fellas. It's a pretty exciting day out here because we just watched this and it's really good stuff. And I, you know, Kevin, I mean, if this rotations, if this rotation stays healthy or predominantly healthy, I just have the question in my mind, can it be the best starting rotation the Rangers have ever had? And, and, I, I think it can be. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the rotations were when they had Gaylor Perry and um, and uh, Fergie. Fergie. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, certainly the best one that I've ever seen them have. You know, uh, if these guys all pitch, and that's the way that these guys look at it. Uh, and, and it is funny to watch these young guys scrambling around trying to watch those veteran pitchers pitch, you know, uh, and, and I asked Cole Reagans the other day, you know, he's never been in the, in the bullpen before and there was a possibility, you know, he might serve in that role. And, and, uh, he's, I said, does that bother you considering the fact that these are the guys in front of you? And he says, no, he said, these, these guys are unbelievable, you know, and that's, and that's the way they look at it. I mean, if that's the way these pitchers who pitched for the Rangers last, who started for the Rangers last year, Two years ago, Dane Dunning was the Rangers pitcher of the year. He can't even get a cup of coffee with this club now. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that, and I wrote about this early in camp too, was, you know, Reagan's, I remember back in 2017 or 2018 when they kind of made a show of having Cole Reagan's follow Cole Hamels around for a day. And it was this overwhelmed kid. And it was, it, it seemed like a dog and pony show. This year I've watched Cole, he sat, you know, he's a he's a lefty. He watched Martin Martin Perez's first bullpen session with Martin, talked to him about pitches and location, kind of as a peer. Not certainly an equal, but as a peer, as a fellow big leaguer to big leaguer. He was with the group of Nathan Yavaldi and Andrew Heaney, who have made it a practice of going out behind the screen, which I've never seen, sitting on the grass, watching the pitchers throw in live BP to get a sense of what they do so that they can be uh, a shoulder for, for those pitchers to talk to so they can understand their guys so that they know how their stuff plays. And, and Cole has been really proactive in that. And, and I see a guy who has a thirst for, for learning and listen, this is a guy who missed three years back to back Tommy John surgeries looked like, you know, a failed number one pick. And here he is. I, I don't think he, you know, I don't want to say Jacob DeGrom takes anything for granted. I know Cole Reagans doesn't take anything for granted. And I know he's making the most of these opportunities to to get up and clo up close with these guys and actually get something from their sessions. 
Yeah, I, I don't think there's any chance that, uh, and that was one of the things that I was struck by with, uh, with Jacob DeGrom's start yesterday as well, is that he, he's facing the storm chasers. And as he put it, he got a little pumped up there and, and had trouble with a little of his, uh, one of his uh, sliders. He, you know, he says, when people are standing in there, I'm trying to get them out. That's that's what he said last week, too. And that, that, yeah, and that was after, because I had asked him, you know, you hit 100 in your first live BP session. Um and he, his 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 response is he gets kind of sheepish about it, but his response is, look, when somebody steps in a plate, it's hard for me not to try and go in. It's hard for me not to go into competition mode and to try and get them out. I can't just go fifty percent and say I'm just out here to get my work in. Now you got to love that, you know. If you're a Rangers fan, you have to love the fact that this guy, you know, is making 185 million dollars. Uh, he's got a great track record. He's already won two Cy Young awards, uh, and and. It, and he wants to pitch this much. He wants to be great. He wants to win. These are all the things that you have to be excited about if you're a Rangers fan. It's just a matter of him staying healthy. At this and point. last thing, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on from the Rangers, but I, what I have said to people and what I've talked to people in, in, on our side of the industry about is, hey, maybe this guy didn't want to be in New York ultimately. And maybe New York wasn't for him. Well, New York's not for everybody. I love New York. I love spending time there. But it's not for everybody, and it doesn't. It's not a flaw in anybody. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that um, they're any less of a player because the New York state of mind doesn't quite doesn't quite do it for him. He's not said that he didn't like New York, but I just think that some there are some guys who respond better to different environments, and and I think you may see a guy this year after two shortened seasons with injuries a guy in the first year of a contract, you may see a guy do some special stuff if he's, if he's healthy. Yeah. I think he likes it here. Uh, he certainly looks happy in this clubhouse. I'll say that. All right. That's going to do it for our Rangers segment of the podcast. We're going to move over now to talk about the Cowboys. Uh, this is free agent season right on. Uh, we're on the cusp of a lot of things happening here. And already as we're recording this breaking news in the middle of our podcast uh, Donovan Wilson has uh, signed a three-year deal with the uh, Cowboys to stay the safety from A&M, six, former sixth-round draft pick, um, who has been really good for the Cowboys. It, I thought this last year, frankly, David, I thought that uh, he was playing pretty much at a Pro Bowl caliber level uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, he, he did not – that did not happen for him. I, you know, there's a lot of competition for that. Uh, award, and I don't know if he would develop enough of a reputation across the league to get that. But uh, if he continues to play at this level, he, he's good enough for me. And I and I feel like that uh, this, as you have reported, was one of the Cowboys' priorities, and they got it done. Yeah, I was told going in, uh, you know, that their emphasis in really for more than the last decade is to retain their own free agents. And so to do that, you have a priority list. My understanding was retaining Donovan Wilson topped uh, the Cowboys priority list as far as retaining their own uh, going into free agency, which, uh, you know, that these first couple of days, Monday and Tuesday are the soft opening. You're allowed to discuss and work out a deal with teams. It becomes official on Wednesday afternoon here. Uh, this deal will be official. Donovan Wilson, three-year deal, uh, been told it's for $24 million. Uh, $13.5 million of that is guaranteed. Uh, the reason he was the priority was, one, he led the team in tackles last year, the 108. Two, I believe he had six sacks, which leads all safeties uh, in the NFL. No safety had more sacks last year than Donovan Wilson. And he's outstanding against the run, a big hitter, helped set a really physical tone, um, which this team lo- likes. And and remember, again, how this team is assembled. It's not, it's not a big hulking defense. It's more on angular guys, speed, uh, take the angles, fly around. Uh, but no one flies around and hits harder consistently than Donovan Wilson. And, and he really helped establish a, a defensive identity. Uh, you know, look, Micah Parsons is 
the, the face of this defense, no question. Uh, I think J. Ron Curse, another safety in a lot of ways, is kind of the glue to this defense on what it does with the different packages uh, and how it can shift from coverage to run defense uh, w- with these different safety packages. But but Donovan Wilson really does uh, is kind of the exclamation point in, in a lot of ways to what this defense does and helps set a tone. Uh, so there and and I, I know this drives the the phrase draft and develop is uh, I know Cowboys fans eyes glaze over when they hear this during free agency uh, because they just take it as an excuse for this team not to spend money on the free agent market. Uh, we can talk about that a, a little bit later if you want, but um, you know it's it's essential to identify these players and retain them going forward and. I, I felt for – put aside for a moment whether or not you disagree with the Cowboys' philosophy. They're going to execute their philosophy. And so in my mind, how Dallas should be judged on whether or not this is a productive free agency period began with the ability to retain their top two priorities, and that was Donovan Wilson and next is Leighton Van Der Esch. And those are the two priorities. And then you go from there to see what else happens in free agency. And now the attention turns to, to Leighton Van Der Esch. Uh, and if they don't, and look, I think it's a little more problematic that they keep him right now. Uh, so then how do they spin out of that if they lose him? And do they still put themselves in a good spot? I'll flash back to last year. Um, you know, a lot of Cowboys fans were morose that Randy Gregory got away. Uh, well, Randy Gregory and getting away, what it meant was they definitely signed Dorrance Armstrong, who had more sacks last year than Randy Gregory has ever had in an individual season. And because they spent less on Dorrance Armstrong, they were able to spend more money on that position and went outside and got Dante Fowler, who, who made a nice contribution for them in the rotation at defensive end. And they took a, a, a player with a lot of promise in, in Sam Williams in the second round. So there are ways to spin out. Uh, you're not going to get everything you want on your priority list in free agency, and it's how you spin out of it. So now, to me, the next flashpoint is let's see what happens with uh, Leighton Van Der Esch, whether he returns or not, and uh, how the Cowboys proceed from there. Of course, the and I, and I agree with you. The Cowboys have done a, a great job of drafting and developing, frankly. You know, they have uh, – there have been some misses, uh, but everybody has misses, and, and – uh, and, you know, we saw what happened to the Cowboys in the late 90s after Jimmy Johnson left and then in the early 2000s. Those were disastrous drafts. And if you look at any organization, and generally speaking, if if they're having bad draft after bad draft, well, that's, then they're going to be a bad team. It's just almost impossible to construct a roster if you're not drafting well. Uh, so uh, they've done it. I give and very, them all and very quickly, what happened in all those years – they didn't have back-to-back winning seasons for like 14 years. You know? Oh, absolutely. And there was well, they were constantly trading out of the first round, and that was exactly. the biggest problem that they yeah. had was that, you know, that, that, was, that was stupid. You know, Jerry thought, well, they worked so well for Jimmy. Let's, let's do the same thing. Well, Jimmy knew these, these players a lot better than, than they knew them later on because he recruited a lot of them when he was in Florida at Miami. So, uh, anyway – uh, the, the point is that they've done a great job with that. But the problem for Cowboys fans is they look over at the Eagles and they see what Howie Roseman does over there and how he's so creative in the way that he creates rosters. You know, they, they do draft well and he is trading for draft picks, but he's also signing players, trading for players. You know, last year, the roster he constructed in Philadelphia was just tremendous. Now, this year, that's that's all being disassembled, right? We we see player Eagles, you know, defensive lineman, the one of the, one of their tackles who who had eleven sacks last year, just an unbelievable total for a tackle to have eleven sacks. Uh, he he's gone. Uh, they uh, both safeties. They, We're talking both, about the safety Dallas retained. They lost both safeties from their exactly. defense. And, so and I think you look at it. I I think uh, nine out of their top eleven defensive players have either left or still on the free agent market and there's a potential they can leave. So that that's a dramatic turnover. Now that doesn't mean you can't make the right moves to keep going forward, but this is the other side where, where Cowboy fans get frustrated by the relative inactivity with the Cowboys when it comes to signing or spending significant money in free agency. Once you do spend it, 
you're losing other guys, right? Because it does take away from somewhere. And, and you're seeing that with Philadelphia now. You've certainly seen it with the uh, L.A. Rams, uh, who who that team in no way, shape, or form resembles the team uh, that won the Super Bowl just, what, 14 months ago. Yeah, and they just traded Jalen Ramsey to, to the yeah. Dolphins. I got to tell you, I wouldn't have been uh, unhappy if the Cowboys had gotten into talks about Jalen Ramsey. And, and, of course, I guess when I brought that up a couple of weeks ago, I think you guys shot it down and it felt like that, well, you're going to end up having to pay Trayvon Diggs at some point. Uh, do you really want to have to be paying both of your corners that kind of money? And especially after the season that Deron Bland had last year and really established himself, led the Cowboys in interceptions. Uh, so, uh, I, I can see how uh, that may not be the best uh, expenditure there. Uh, I, I still believe the Cowboys need to come back on the offensive side and add a playmaker here. I think we've all decided pretty much that Michael Gallup is a, is a number three receiver, uh, and uh, they need a number two. The question is that Odell Beckham Jr., some people are saying, wants $20 million a year, which, as I recall – is uh, what Amari Cooper was making, and the Cowboys thought that was too much for him and sent him uh, to the Browns. So uh, is Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, still an option at $20 million a year? Not at $20 million a year, no. he's uh, The Cowboys retain an interest, and I believe before – he, he's on their radar, and I'm not so sure he winds up here. But before he winds up anywhere else, he will have a conversation with the Cowboys. Uh, you don't express that interest for that long and just give it up and sign somewhere else unless the the lines have really been drawn in concrete. And, and the Cowboys and their negotiations don't tend to draw lines in concrete. Uh, they're much more lines in sand because they always want to keep the communication open and because uh, these negotiations are very fluid, right? Uh, a lot changes. Uh um, Odell Beckham Jr. can want $20 million right now. When he's still on the market next week, is he going to get an, a contract that averages $20 million a year? No. So then he has to reassess where he is, what his options are, and where's the best place to go. So uh, for a player who missed an entire year at his age coming off the injury he had, he is not going to get that sort of contract and the guaranteed money that necessarily reflects what his career has been. But it's about when does he come to the re realization that he's going to have to adjust that. And, uh, you know, you just have to stay in the conversation. Some teams will say, I don't want to, I don't want to stay in this any longer. We'll move on. Um, and, and it could reach the point where if the Cowboys get a, uh, a deal on a receiver, that's, that's much less, they wind up making a deal, and then Odell Beckham Jr. is out of the picture in Dallas. And so it's uh, there, there's risk on both sides, but he is not going to get uh, that sort of money in this market. Uh, you know, uh, Jacoby Meyer, I believe the, the receiver in New England, just signed today, and his, his deal, he's regarded as like the most attractive receiver on this free agent market. And he got a deal, I think, that averaged $11 million a year. Correct. Uh, yeah, so that's that's – He's going to have to – now, you can compensate for this with, um, you know, you can structure the contract in a way from an incentive standpoint that it can increase, but uh, I, I don't see any team paying Odell Beckham Jr. a, a contract that – a true contract that averages $20 million a year based on where he is in his career and the fact he did not play last season. So if the Cowboys don't uh, sign him uh, and they don't bring a veteran receiver in, I mean, let me ask you this. Do you think it's more likely that they sign a veteran receiver or that they spend a high draft pick on one? Well, you know, I, this draft class is very deep and good at tight end. I don't know that, but when you compare it to some of the receiver classes in recent years, I don't think it's as strong. Uh, because, because you have a player, you have two young receivers really in a way, right? And C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup. Um, you're going to, you know, Dalton Schultz won't be back. So you have two young tight ends in Jay Ferguson and uh, Hendershot. And you may add to that with another young tight end and draft in this class. 
when you look at the relative youth at that position, I would argue, well, I want a veteran guy in this mix just to kind of give some direction and and uh, you know, maybe have a little better understanding of the game and can kind of fill in the gaps that we need here. So because of the relative youth at the position overall, um, I believe it's more likely that uh, they will sign or trade. Now, now signing is their preference because you're not going to have to give up a draft pick, which they would like to keep. But I, I would not rule out a trade based on what, what is available out there. So I think they will address free agency really in the coming days and weeks. And, and, and very quickly, just uh, this happened uh, just while we're doing this segment. Uh, Noah Brown, I believe, is uh, going to go elsewhere. Uh, it sounds like the Texans... Uh, have agreed to a deal with him. So that's another receiver out of the mix for the Cowboys. That's very interesting. You know, I I like Noah Brown because he's a, you know, he's a team player, plays special teams. It's what you want in a fourth receiver, but and a good found, blocker, a fourth yeah. receiver, but you saw last year he's really not much more than a fourth receiver, right? And when you have to count on him to do that, uh that's really not his skill set. No, it's not. Uh, we there's been a lot of speculation now with uh, uh, Sean Payton becoming the head coach in Denver that that maybe some of those receivers might be on the market if they're not really Sean's type of receivers. And I got to tell you, I'm I'm trying to think off the top of my head what a Sean type of receiver is. I don't know why you wouldn't like uh, Cortland Sutton. I, I you know the former SMU receiver. He's a big body. Uh, I, I I frankly like him. I, I just you know, I, I like the idea of a, a big-bodied receiver, somebody who's going to be able to fight for the ball. And when you have a quarterback who is not particularly accurate, as Dak is or is not, um, then I like a guy who's got a bigger target radius, you know, and somebody who's going to be able to muscle a defensive back for the ball. That was one of Michael Gallup's shortcomings in my mind is that he's, he's just not good uh, at uh, on 50-50 balls, and he's, he's, he doesn't seem to have the instincts to fight for, for the ball in some of these routes that he runs. And that, that was, to me, the big problem in one of the interceptions that Dak threw against the 49ers in the playoffs. Uh, it, it, was, it was Dak's fault, uh, but uh, certainly uh, Gallup didn't help him any on that play. So um, I, 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 I agree with you. I think that they do need to add a, re- a veteran receiver, and I think that is one of the big things they need to do now. Uh, in this last minute we have in this segment, David, what are they going to do in the offensive line now? Because Connor McGovern signed a deal with the Bills, a three years deal, a three year deal. So that leaves an opening at left guard. And, and you wrote in today's edition of the Dallas Morning News that uh, there had been speculation by a lot of people that, oh, this means that Tyler Smith will just move back over to guard again. And then I guess Tyron Smith would be the left tackle. You indicated that's not going to be what happens here. So that, that begs the question, so then who starts at left guard, and is Tyron Smith really going to become the swing tackle? Well, this is all to play out in the offseason and training camp, right, and, and, and injuries and and uh, players' approach to these positions and roles will determine that to some extent. But uh, my understanding is that that the plan at this moment is that, that Tyler Smith, their first-round pick from last year, uh, you know, teams are very hesitant to say a, a player, especially a first round pick, exceeded expectations in their rookie season. Dallas has no problem saying about Tyler Smith. You know, they took him as a project at left tackle that they felt was going to develop into their left tackle of the future. And with Tyron Smith's injury, saw he was able to handle it right away. So, like I said, I think a lot of people go, well, if you're bringing Tyron Smith back, which it appears pretty certain they are now, uh, they're just, you know, restructuring his contract to make it less of a cap hit. Uh, Why not put him at left tackle and move Tyron Smith over to left guard? My understanding is that the coaching staff does not want to do that. They feel that Tyler Smith has earned the right to start at left tackle. The other thing I would say is also look at Tyron Smith for, for the perennial Pro Bowl player he is. How many games has he been available for Mike McCarthy and this coaching staff uh, since they've been here? He's missed more. He's missed two out of every three games that Mike McCarthy has been here. It's hard to state with confidence this is going to be our starting left tackle or right tackle. So if Tyron Smith is amenable at this stage of his career to being a swing tackle, 
that is what they will do. And my understanding is that that he has given indications he would be willing to do that as long as he's still allowed to compete for the positions. Right. Which is what he wants. Uh, uh, so I, I think, yeah, at this point, I think you should view Tyron Smith as a swing tackle. Internal candidates at the moment for left guard and Matt Farniok, uh, seventh round pick out in Nebraska, is really the only guy on the roster at the moment, I, I think, that would uh, be in that spot. Uh, but right now, I think that's who you're looking at. And, and they do like him. He's a very physical guy. Uh, got hurt last year, which uh, impeded his progress. But uh, I think that's how they'll proceed at the moment. Well, I would think it's certainly of anything, if that's what they're going to do, there, there's been a lot of speculation in the in the draft that Osiris Torrance, a, a guard uh, who's considered probably the best guard in this draft, if he were available at 26, I would have to think that the Cowboys would consider that a possibility now if that's going to be the case. Uh, and, they, and they have certainly done a great job uh, evaluating offensive line talent. Now, I know there have been a couple of guys that, you know, Connor Williams was a little bit of a bust, maybe Connor McGovern was. A little bit as well, uh, but man, uh, they're hitting about 900 uh, on these offensive linemen when they draft them, uh, certainly the ones they draft in the top of the draft. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment now. All right, let's talk about the Mavericks, uh, David. And I got to tell you, uh, this, I, I think I've sent up my white flag. Uh, I think this is it for me. I, I was don't think you're to, alone. Yeah. Well, I was willing to kind of, let's give this some time. See how it works out, the Kyrie Irving trade. Uh, it, they, they certainly were going nowhere before the trade. I will say that. Uh, I, I don't think that this was a team that was destined to all of a sudden turn it around and, 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 and storm into the playoffs. Uh, they were not playing good defense. They, for whatever reason, they have never been able to, uh, to get back to that level of defense they played last year, even though – the best defensive players were still on the team. Now I know Maxi Kleber was hurt, at, you know, for a long time and was out. But uh, they still had, before the trade, they still had Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, and um, and it just wasn't working. So so they make the big trade and they bring in Kyrie Irving, and uh, and there's been some moments when it was fun to watch. But unless they're going to beat people 130 to 126, David, I don't see it. Well. And what about the chemistry of playing together and and being together enough to give you the confidence to surge in the postseason? Um, how many games have Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving played together? Uh, you know, now they've missed these last two when they've lost to Memphis both. And you can go, well, so don't count too much on those losses. Well, Memphis's best player wasn't playing either. So... You know, uh, I, I'm just not sure what sort of chemistry. It doesn't appear to me they're going to have time uh, to, you know, build the consistency and confidence they need to win a series. Uh, they're exciting. They can win any game. Could they win a series? I guess. But, um, the, and to me, it's just these these players have been together for such, and this rotation has been together for such a short period of time, and they're not getting to hone it going into the the, the playoffs. And um, yeah, uh, could you see this team capture lightning in a bottle with a healthy Kyrie and and uh, Luca? And that's what you know Jason Kidd was basically talking about after last night's loss. Yeah, it's more important that we have our health going into the postseason. Then we'll see. I agree to a point, but these guys have been together for such a short period. They haven't had a chance to reinforce the best way to go about it and what rotations work and how they're going to proceed. Um, I, I just don't see them being able to do much, if anything, in the postseason this year. No, you know, and the, here's the thing about all of it, David, is that they, they, they've played a couple of good games here and there with Irving here. But what if they play back-to-back good games? Exactly. You know? So when you get into the playoffs, you know, and you play in a series, that that does you no good, you know. So I just don't see any chemistry on this team. It seems like the biggest fouled-up mess ever, you know, for a team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year and, and certainly overachieved. I don't think that anybody would say they didn't overachieve last year. You know, the Everything they did last year just worked out so well. And, and, you know, that's when they caught lightning in a bottle, it seems like to me, was last year. 
because when they made the trade uh, and, and they got Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, who really didn't do a whole lot, but, but Spencer Dinwiddie did exactly what they wanted. They gave him the third ball handler uh, and they, and they, it was just, the chemistry was very good on the team. They, they played together. Well, you know, their rotations were good. Their defense was good. You know, that team was uh, just imposed its will, frankly, uh, on the Suns and on the Jazz both. I think both of those teams felt like, my gosh, we don't know what to do here. Donovan Mitchell looked lost in that series because of what the Mavericks did. They're not doing anything close to that now. Uh, they're, this team, not only with Kyrie Irving, but with Christian Wood. Let's let's take that uh, that loss to Memphis the other day. You know the one twelve to eighty eight loss. Yeah. It's like holy cow, what a miserable performance. Now I know they didn't have Doncic or Irving, but they but Memphis didn't have um, uh, you know Morant either. So uh, it wasn't a case of wow they just didn't have their best players. You know in these kind of games, that's when your players are supposed to step up, right? And, and so what does Tim Hardaway Jr. do? Five points. You know, I look. You looked down at the starters on that in that game, and I think there was only one starter who was in double figures. Uh, it was a pitiful performance. Not only that, Christian Wood didn't even get in the game. You know, I did. I did not. I'm out here in Arizona, where apparently they don't have uh, things like uh, I don't know. At least where we're staying, we're, we've got Roku television. David, I got to tell you, I hate Roku television. <laughs> I just, okay. I just want You're really my cable. dating yourself here. This I just not- want my cable. This I just want to be able to turn the TV life. on and like, oh, here's the game right Roku, here. Please, <laughs> this is not. Oh my gosh, I hate it. But anyway, and so I didn't get to watch that game. Uh, so, but I mean, how is Christian Wood not playing in a game where you're missing your two best players? Christian Wood should be your third best player. I mean, so and he has. He has not uh, certainly endeared himself to the coaching staff with the fact that he's just not playing defense. And he, and he apparently has a difficult time even knowing what he's supposed to do on defense. You know, they're having to call out the defensive rotations to him on the court as they're playing. So I get all that, that, you know, that maybe there's some issues here, but I, but I, I gotta tell you, I, I'm not, I don't really like the way that, that Jason Kidd's handling all this either. We get cross purposed here on what the the uh, what is the explanation for Kyrie Irving not playing in these two games the first thing we heard from Jason Kidd was that it was personal reasons well then it comes out oh no he's got a he got a problem with his foot so what is it is it personal reasons is it his foot what is it it's personally his foot I would say but <laughs> um no and, and, and you know to, to what you were talking about last year not only at this stage of the season did everyone have a defined role, but they all accepted and embraced their roles, right? Uh, they knew when they were coming into the game. They knew exactly what was expected of them. They knew if someone was off that night or was going to be out, they knew how they had to compensate. You don't have that this year. Uh, you just don't. And and it even goes to your two best players because, look, af- after the trade and everyone made a lot of, okay, well, Luka Doncic is the high, you know, is the highest, has the highest scoring average in the first quarter of any player in the league. Kyrie Irving has the highest scoring average of any player in the league in the fourth quarter. Here we go. We're all set. Well, they even played with that over the course of it, right? It's like, well, maybe you switch that up and you keep Luka fresher in the fourth. And so it's a different element. And, and, but they haven't been together enough even to work all of that out and, and see. And yes, I believe Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic work this out, but there are only 13 games left in the regular season now. And the thing is, everybody else's role that they have to fill in the postseason stems off of those two guys getting their 34 to 38 minutes a game. And when those guys aren't on the floor, they can't establish the roles. Uh, Hardaway's a great example. He He was playing very well when Kyrie and Luca were playing, he was playing the best he's played at any point this season. When you look at his scoring average, shooting percentage, everything. Now you take those guys out of it. What does he give you? He can't give you that. So, um, and, and the he's a guy is, who can't create off the no, devil. He, he's, a, he's a spot up shooter. And, yeah. And well, he, 13 games left. I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to establish the roles to the extent you will need to have them established 
to get any sort of traction in the postseason. And look, we're talking about this. You know, right now the the Mavericks are eight. They're going to have to win a play-in game just to get into the postseason. And they're only about a half a game ahead of the Lakers, you know. So, and, and here's the other thing. You were talking about how they lost to Memphis without John Morant. Let's look at all season, all the team, all the losses they've incurred when the other team's best player hadn't even stepped on the floor. So they have done nothing to reinforce confidence in themselves going into the postseason. Um, actually, at this point, just making the playoffs and being somewhat competitive in the first round would be a win based off of what we've seen. And look, it's like you said, this team wasn't going to go far before the trade. It wasn't going to do anything before the trade. That was clear. They have a greater upside now than they did before, but that doesn't mean it's going to be realized in this postseason. And and with all the signs that we've seen to this point, I would think you would have to argue we're not going to see it. Now you get to, okay, does Kyrie come back? Where you even build on this next year? Or is this whole season after – after advancing to the Western Conference Finals sooner than anyone anticipated, is it just a waste, and does it leave you farther away from your goal than what you were going into this season? And that's a very real possibility they're staring at at this moment, in my mind. See, that's what scares me about all of this, David, is that, uh, look, if Kyrie Irving had come in and and they he and Luke had played together and they were on the floor and they and they – Got a lot of experience. I, you know, you, it felt like, you know, with 22, 20, whatever it was, 25 games left in the season, there was enough time for them to to find out, can this work? Well, now this is what bothers me and scares me the most about the Mavericks is they can say, well, we don't really know if it would work or not because, you know, they were Luka was out and, and Kyrie was out. So so we're going to take a shot on this and we're going to give him a five-year deal. Uh, and, and I think that's the danger of it is that – they're going to make some kind of excuse and say, we really don't know. I, I think you can look at this roster right now and say, this is a disaster. I, I think that they, you know, the Christian Wood deal did not work out at all. Uh, now the Kyrie Irving deal doesn't look like that's working out at all either. And there was a greater question about that than there was about the Christian Wood thing. So, so I think I would rather see them let – Kyrie walk. He may want to walk. He may want, you know, there are all kinds of rumors. That's the other side of this, right? It's not just what the Mavericks want. It's what does Kyrie want? Yes. And, and Lord knows what he wants. You know, yeah. he, he, he may, you know, there's been lots of speculation that, that maybe he, he wants to play with Durant again. Uh, you know, he, he, he's trying to get to Phoenix. Uh, he may want to, he may want to go to, uh, to the Lakers and play with LeBron again. Uh, I've heard rumors, and, and boy, David, I really wish you could shoot this down. I've heard rumors that the 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 Mavericks could end up in a sign-in trade and end up with Anthony Davis. Lord help us if Anthony Davis comes to the Mavericks and, and is just Christoph Porzingis, you know, the second. I mean, the guy can't stay on the floor. Physically uh, where he is now, that does not, yeah. And, and, no. Um, but, but again, all of it, now let's extrapolate that out a little bit more say Kyrie doesn't want to come back. Well, now for two consecutive years, the second player on the team after Luka has not wanted to return. <laughs> what is that going to do for this franchise drawing players going forward? And and that was, you know, nobody really explored that side of the whole Kyrie Irving thing because it's like, oh, well, with this talent, you've got to swing, you got to take this swing. Fine, but that's a very real uh, consequence of this if he decides to move on now and you don't think other teams are going to be saying well hey look I mean you know Lucas kind of ball dominant and these two guys you know they wanted to go you know so yeah we like Luca and we like how he plays but can you really play in his shadow and be who you can be so that's going to be a narrative that the Mavericks will have to deal with if Kyrie goes too so for for all of this you know, you just had to do it because of the talent. If you reduce everything to talent, sure. But then you make any move just based on talent and not how all the pieces fit and what it means to, for your franchise going forward. Is that a really a responsible move? And, and uh, boy, there's going to be a lot to unpack once the season's over for the Mavericks. And it looks like the season's going to be over sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, I think so too, David. I, I got to tell you, I really feel like that what they're going to end up saying, you, you know, Mark always has an explanation for everything. Like, oh, you know, he's the, the classic uh, sour grapes guy. Uh, is that, well, all these guys are going to be off the books here in a couple of years, and then we'll be able to really build a team around Luca, right? Uh, and that's what I feel like is is what they're angling toward at this point because I I cannot see them giving. Uh, first of all, I think if, if they give Kyrie a five year max deal, then he'll probably take it. Uh, but if it's anything less than that, he's not going to want to do that because I think he does want out. I do I do think he wants to play with these other guys, and uh, and that's certainly what his history is. And you know, his hour long Twitch uh, message the other day didn't say anything controversial, but. Just the idea that he was saying, you know, boy, it's been too long since I've been able to do this. Are we all really going to want to sit around waiting for him to do the next one? You know, and what's he going to say in the next one uh, or the one after that or the one after that? Is that really what they, you know, that uh, the Mavericks have signed themselves up for? I just I don't think so. And I, I do think they were probably in some ways taking a flyer on Kyrie to see how this would work out. I'm hoping what they'll decide is, you know what, this didn't work. Uh, we're going to take this big hole that is now going to be here in our uh, on our salary cap, and we're going to try to go out and attract somebody uh, with that money. Uh, I don't know, you know, what they're going to be able to do with that. Uh, I, I have to say that Nico Harrison, in his short tenure, did a miracle last year, and this year has been a resounding flop. Yeah, uh, I think that's how most people view it, and we'll see we'll see how the Mavericks spin out of this and what this team looks like. Yeah, no question about that. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate y'all taking the time and listening. Always uh, uh, glad to hear. I had uh, David. I had uh, a couple of uh, Rangers fans who were out here for spring training. I'm walking down to a game somewhere Mesa I guess it was and all of a sudden I heard my name called out and I turned around and they said love the podcast how about that David nice very nice how about that a shout out in Mesa Arizona from a a father-son duo from Plano Brian and Andrew so here's here's to Brian and Andrew and here's to all of y'all and uh, be sure to come back next week and so from everybody in here to everybody out there thanks and we'll see you